Welcome to the Birding Life Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm your host on the podcast where we discover birds and the birders that pursue them. The Birding Life is proud to be associated with Shrobsky Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars, and spotting scopes, as well as the Bird Lesser bird logging app, Spot, Plot, Play a Part. Download and install the app to play your part in social conservation. The Birding Life is a lot more than just a podcast. It's a multi-platform resource to connect birders with each other, amazing locations, the best resources, and obviously, where to find amazing birds. Head on over to our website, www.thebirdinglife.com, and be sure to sign up to our newsletter on the site, so you do not miss out on any of the exciting things that are coming up. Be sure to follow this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to it on, and please take some time to rate and comment on it. This is episode 43, and today we'll be chatting all about the BirdLife South Africa Bird of the Year for 2021, the Cape Rockjumper. Andrew DeBlock, the AV Tourism Manager of BirdLife South Africa, gives us fascinating insights into this charismatic endemic species. If you want more information about the species, be sure to check out the latest conservation conversation where Dr. Krista Oswald gave an interesting talk on the species. You can access the episode on the BirdLife South Africa's Conservation Conversations YouTube page. I'll put a link in the write-up for this episode. If you have a story that you'd like to share, you can simply send us a voice note and we'll look to include it in the show. So without further ado, let's hear from Andrew. So Andrew, third time, I think it's third time on the show, I want to welcome you to the podcast again. Thanks very much for having me again, Adam. So we made it through 2020, crazy year, and last time we chatted, you were busy moving from Cape Town to Johannesburg. How's the move gone? Uh, it's gone really well. Um, of course, we're not working out of the offices in Johannesburg yet, but it has been good to move up and uh, meet some members of the team and uh, you know, settle into a new city, settle into my new position, which is going really well and finding it really uh, exciting and uh, challenging, but in all the right ways. So uh, yeah, it's a new chapter that I'm very excited about. I know we chatted about this last time, but just for the sake of someone who might not have heard your previous podcast, what is your role at BirdLife South Africa? So I am the AV Tourism Project Manager. So AV Tourism, for those who haven't heard the word before, is uh, any tourism related to birds. So BirdLife South Africa has a couple of projects that fall underneath, or sub-projects that fall underneath the AV Tourism Project. Chief among these is the Community Bird Guide uh, Training Project. Many of you will know the the many fantastic community bird guides we have. Um, this, this project's been going on for 20 years, and we have guides uh, spread all over the country with uh, specific nodes in KwaZulu-Natal and uh, Limpopo. Um, so that's one of the projects that I'm running, and we're training guides in, in new areas this year, which is quite exciting. So that's one of the things I do. I run our bird-friendly establishments and bird-friendly tour operators networks. Uh, my job is to promote South Africa as a birding destination and uh, serve birders across the country as well, which uh, leads to some cool opportunities like launching the Sassel Fire Book last year, hopefully visiting some bird fairs once international tourism opens up again. Uh, so yeah, it's a really exciting position and uh, I feel really fortunate to have this job. It's very enjoyable. Yeah, I had an opportunity yesterday to bird with the Widows family, and I know they're doing a big year as a family with two young kids. Um, some people say that's a little bit nuts, but really cool, a really cool family. I know they're doing a big year and bringing exposure to the Community Bird Guide Project. Really a, really a cool story. Yeah, aren't they the coolest little family? Um, the, the Widows are 
doing a South African big year. So I mean, it's unique in two ways. Number one is that it's South African. And uh, you know most people do a Southern African big year, but BirdLife South Africa is placing a lot of focus on proudly South African birding, as we're calling it. We launched the South Africa Listers Club last year as well. So we're really glad that the widows are taking on this uh, proudly South African approach. And then, of course, doing it as a family, as you say, it's a little bit nuts, I guess. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, following them on social media and seeing the updates on how the kids are just embracing the experience and how they're meeting all these fantastic people along the way. As you say, they're supporting the community bird guides. They're not only bringing exposure to them, but they're also fundraising. So, yeah, shout out to the widows. Go follow them on our birding big year 2021 on Facebook and Instagram. Um, like I said, they're also raising money for the community bird guide training project here at BirdLife South Africa. So I'm very grateful for that and it's going to make a big difference. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting. You know, they'll bird a little bit. Craig will go and look at the birds and Kirsty will keep an eye on the kids and then they switch around. So it's quite an interesting dynamic. And yeah, but like you said, really, really cool family. And yeah, um, just go follow them and support them. So while we've got you on the show today, Andrew, we're going to be chatting about the BirdLife South Africa Bird of the Year for 2021. It was announced last year on Birding Big Day, the Cape Rock Jumper, really a stunning bird. Before we chat about the Cape Rock Jumper, can you just chat about some of the previous birds of the year and how they were chosen and also look at why specifically this species was chosen? Sure. So the Bird of the Year initiative started uh, back in 2007, so it's around 14 years old. And we choose different species every year for quite different reasons sometimes. So sometimes it's to highlight a species of conservation concern, which certainly applies this year. Uh, sometimes it's to celebrate an endemic species, which actually also applies this year. Sometimes it's to represent a specific habitat. So we like to uh, represent all of South Africa's many diverse habitats uh, in the selection of the different years. And sometimes it's just to celebrate the, the beauty of our natural heritage um, and also our common birds. So we, we mix it up every few, every year. Um, the way that birds are chosen is through nominations from our members, uh, which get considered by the BirdLife South Africa Marketing Committee. And those are chosen on the basis of the educational value that we can get out of that species, uh, the conservation need, um, and also what were the immediate predecessors. So we, we like to vary it in terms of having larger birds and smaller birds, uh, rare birds and more common birds. Um, like I said, the different habitats represented, for instance, we don't want, you know, uh, three seabirds in a row. Um, we like to get some variation in it. So, yeah, there's been quite a diversity of species since 2007. And since it's only 14, maybe I'll just read out the list to you. So in, in 2007, we had the African penguin. 2008 was the Spotted Eagle Owl, 2009 Cape Robin Chat, 2010 Lesser Flamingo, 2011 Barn Swallow, 2012 African Fish Eagle, 2013 White-Winged Flufftail, 2014 Tristan Albatross, 2015 Blue Crane, 2016 Sociable Weaver, 2017 Lapid Face Vulture, 2018 Black Oyster Catcher, 2019 Secretary Bird, 2020 Southern Ground Hornbill, and of course this year you've already said that we chose Cape Rock Jumper. Um, there's quite a few reasons that we, we went with the Rock Jumper. I've kind of hinted at a few of them now, but I think we'll get into it in more detail just a bit. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I've obviously I've been following 
the bird of the year through all the years, but it's interesting to see the developments in terms of the marketing. I mean, I know, I don't know how long the fluffies have been going, but I mean, the fluffies are so cool. I mean, I've got three of them in my lounge here. I'm looking forward to the fluffy this year. And it's such a, it's such a cool way to, to make the bird um, accessible to, to almost anyone and uh, the little pins and all that. And it's really some cool material that goes out with the, with the bird of the year. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of uh, initiatives that are associated with the bird of the year. First and foremost are the educational resources. So we really like to use Bird of the Year as a springboard uh, to give out some kind of message, whether that's um, of the specific species that's uh, being threatened, um, whether it's a specific habitat that uh, the species is uh, representative for, for instance, um, and then uh, going into communities, particularly schools, and using these educational resources to turn people onto birds, create understanding around the environment, and uh, raise uh, environmental awareness around these different causes that we choose every year. And then, as you say, there's some merchandising that goes along with it, and people have started getting collections of these pin badges. And uh, as you say, people love the fluffies. And it's not only for kids, it's also for uh, grown-ups who are kids at heart, <laughs> such as yourself. And uh, yeah, the, I think this year's Fluffy is going to be very, very popular. And uh, if you do want to go and buy some of our past Fluffies, there are still some in stock. We're getting thin on stock, but uh, get in touch with Shop for the Birds. We have, uh, I know for sure, we have ground hornbills and secretary birds still from the last two years. Um, and as Adam says, they're adorable, so you can get your hands on those. So talking about the Southern Ground Hornbill, which was the bird of the year in 2020, there was a whole lot of challenges last year. I mean, I know we spoke about that many times, the challenges around COVID. How did the bird of the year campaign go? So all things considered, you know, it was a difficult year, but I think it was a very successful campaign. So we had our usual lesson plans developed. We had infographics and posters and stickers and different educational tools that were distributed to many, many schools across the country. And they're also... Uh, available freely on our website as well if there are any educators or if anyone listening knows of any educators um, of uh, young kids uh, those those resources are all available online as well so that was really fantastic that we could get those out again um, the really special thing about this year I think at least in my opinion is that it's the first year we've had translations into Chibenda, Isizulu and Isikosa um, which I think is really cool because we can reach communities where um, the Southern Ground Hornbill really needs our help and we, we need communities to buy into this. There's a, a lot of persecution going on in uh, rural Eastern Cape and some parts of KZN. So having those resources in Isikosa and Isizulu are going to make a huge difference um, in terms of distributing it to schools. And we had a partnership this year or last year rather with the Mabula Ground Hornbill Project and Dr. Lucy Kemp. And they're taking these resources out and rolling them out um, in these important areas, and they'll continue to do so after this year. So we're making really good progress, and I think we've had a lot of impact through that. Um, we also had a successful webinar on it, and you can go and uh, look up our Conservation Conversations webinar on the species on our YouTube channel. And uh, we featured it at the Virtual African Bird Fair, uh, put out a lot of social media content. So, you know, we... We rolled with the punches the 2020 through, and I think uh, we can uh, say that it was quite a successful campaign. So when we look at the bird of the year, we've spoken about the fact that there's fluffies and there's pins and there's educational material that goes out. But if we were to fast forward to the end of 2021, what would a successful campaign for the Cape Rock Jumper look like? 
Well, you know, like I said, the educational resources are really at the heart of what Spread of the Year is all about. So we are developing these at the moment. Um, they will be rolled out again into different schools and they'll be highlighting different initiatives and different uh, concerns, conservation concerns, and environmental problems. Uh, this year with the Cape Rock Jumper, one of the main focus points is uh, climate change. So Cape Rock Jumper is the first uh, species in South Africa to have its conservation status downlisted or uplisted, sorry, to uh, near threatened. It used to be least concerned, now it's near threatened. And that's, that's purely because of climate effects. So what's happening with the Cape Rock Jumpers is they are uh, breeders on mountains and in, in the southwestern Cape. And with rising temperatures, they're forced to move further and further further up these slopes um, to fit what we call a climate envelope. So what are the suitable conditions for them to breed? They're looking for this uh, cooler cooler environment. And the further and further they go up the mountain, the, the less and less space there is left for them to breed. So climate change is a direct uh, influencer on their breeding productivity. And of course, that feeds into population declines if their breeding is... a uh, is uh, is declining and, and they're losing their habitat. And another interesting piece of research that uh, has come out is around nest predation by particularly worm slung. So snakes, of course, are cold-blooded, so they um, rely on the environment for their body temperatures. And as mountainsides are warming, the worm slungs are able to move further and further up the slope as well, and which are allowing them to access rock jumper nests. So we're seeing increased uh, threat from bonslungs in terms of taking rock jumper eggs and chicks. Um, so again, a really uh, visual way to see how climate change is affecting a species. So this is going to be central to our educational resources. And for it to be a success, I think we'd really like to see it translated into the various languages. We always have these resources in English and Afrikaans, but I think we've set a good precedent now in terms of getting it translated into relevant African languages as well. So I'd really like to see that rolled out. Um, and then from the merchandising point of view, which is a, a secondary thing that we run, but uh, it's uh, very popular with the public. Um, we are producing fluffies. We're producing pin badges again. Um, we may even be producing uh, face masks for sale. So we've got a beautiful artwork done by Ingrid Blaisby, um, famous for the Roberts books that we're going to be using for promotional materials. And uh, yeah, I think getting everyone engaged and excited about rock jumpers and, and educated on the, the real um, and current effects of climate change will be a big success. I think what was quite scary is, is the seventh edition of the Roberts Birds of Southern Africa, which was published only in 2005, the, the big blue book, listed the status of the Cape Rock Jumper as not threatened. Yet just over 15 years later, the species is now listed as near threatened. I mean, that's super scary. Yeah, it's it's a it's a scary trend across many species, but uh, for the rock jumper, and particularly, well, we're particularly worried about it. As I said, this is not a, a situation where we can um, protect more habitat for the species or something. Uh, if if it's running out of mountain habitats, um, it's in dire straits because you get to the top and uh, there's there's no way left to go. So it's really about addressing the climate, uh, the local climate concerns, and. Uh, raising awareness around how we as individuals can live more sustainably and pressure government into having more green policies in terms of uh, halting this effect. Um, it's not too late for them, and uh, that's that's why the, the threat rating has not gone up uh, more than that. But yes, it's scary that uh, in only 15 years we've seen this, this species uh, showing 
significant declines across its range and uh, getting exposed to new threats that uh, it wasn't exposed to before. Um, it's it, it's scary and uh, it's worth uh, bringing to everyone's attention, which is why we chose it as bird of the year. So I'm looking at the checklist of birds um, for 2021, which comes free with the January, February African BirdLife magazine. And it's got a stunning Cape Rock jump on the front of it. So some people might be listening to listening to this in their car, and it's not a great idea to pull your field guide field guide out while you're driving. Um, but for the sake of those who have maybe never seen a Cape Rock jumper, or someone who's maybe overseas and hearing about this stunning bird, can you just tell us a little bit about this charismatic species? Yes. Well, when you have finished uh, listening to this podcast or uh, finished on your drive or whatever it is, I do I do recommend going and looking up some photographs. It is a really striking bird. It's uh, sexually dimorphic, so males and females look slightly different. Um, the males, well, they're both about thrush sized, if you can imagine that. And they, they live out on these uh, scree slopes, as we call them, so boulder strewn slopes across uh, the Western Cape. And uh, the male is uh, jet black on his head, wings, and tail, um, but is kind of a dark, rufous, uh, almost burgundy color underneath with this. Uh, bright red eye and this white malar stripe um, and when he flies there's a, a white ring on the tail as well so it's uh, quite striking it's a, it's a really striking bird and you, you see it in these fairly drab fanbos habitats um, i don't know if the listeners have, have been exposed to fanbos but it's, it's pretty much dull greens browns and, and grays and then you have this bird which uh, shows its its beautiful red front as it hops up onto a, a boulder or a rock um, and calls out. I mean, they have this, this really iconic uh, piping whistle, as the books call it. Um, so it's this repetitive, uh, you know, six or seven um, whistles that come out um, and kind of echo around the mountains around you. Inevitably, they're in some some valley or something, and uh, it's really quite a, as you say, a striking bird. The female is uh, slightly duller, but uh, no less beautiful. Um, she's got a more muted, uh, rusty red front and a more grayish appearance than the jet black male. For a lot of listeners, we often assume that people know these fancy terms we speak about. And the word you used when you speak about the rock jumpers, you use the word endemic. Now, I know when you open the checklist of birds, there's different terms as endemic, endemic to South Africa, near endemic, breeding near endemic. What does the word endemic mean? Yeah, that's a great question and something we should clear up. So Endemic basically means that a species is found in this place and nowhere else. Uh, so it's indigenous to South Africa, but which means that it, it occurs here naturally. But not only that, it, it only occurs here in South Africa. So the Cape Rock Jumper is what we would call a, a true South African endemic. It's only found in, in very limited portions of South Africa, down in the southwestern Cape around the rocky areas, uh, leading from uh, the broader Cape area, um, north into the Cedarburg and east into uh, the edge of the garden route. I think the, the most eastern birds are probably around uh, Swatburg Pass type area or around Oatswin. Um So it's a very limited distribution. Um, to clear up a couple of other terms you mentioned there, so you would have a South African endemic, you might also have a Southern African endemic, so something which extends slightly into uh, one of our neighboring countries. The Drakensberg rock jumper we would call a Southern African endemic because it has most of its population in South Africa, but also a significant part in Lesotho. So it's not just contained within South Africa, for instance, but it is a true Southern African endemic. And then you get near endemics, which means that 
about 85% of the species population is found in one uh, country or province or whatever you're applying the endemism to. And a breeding endemic would be that uh, all the breeding population of a species is contained within South Africa. It may migrate uh, somewhere else, um, but it doesn't breed there. So South Africa would be the only area that it breeds in. And actually for rock jumpers, it's a, a really important thing to bring up that this is an endemic family. So not only is the Cape rock jumper an endemic species, but the rock jumpers, uh, which is a family comprising just the two species, the Cape and the Drakensberg rock jumper, are fully endemic to Southern Africa. And South, Southern Africa actually has two uh, endemic families, um, they, those being the rock jumpers and the sugarbirds, so the Cape and the Guernese sugarbird. And both of these have uh, one cousin in the southwestern Cape restricted to the Fainbos, so we call them a Fainbos endemic. And the others are more towards the Drakensberg and the Sutu side. So those would be our Drakensberg endemics. Now, I know the conservation of all birds is important, but I can imagine in terms of the conservation of endemic species, it's, it's even more important because of the limited distribution they have. You know, not just speaking about the importance of um, conserving the Cape Rock Jumper, but, you know, how is the conservation status looking like across the board for other endemic species in South Africa? So it ranges. We have some endemic species that are a lot more common than others. Um, for instance, something like Cape Siskin is a uh, least concern. Um, we're not too worried about it. It's pretty widespread and, and fairly common in, in the right areas with the right habitat. Then we have other endemics that are faring a lot worse, like the Cape Rock Jumper is now on the decline and, and has some serious threats that we need to deal with. But uh, conserving endemic species is, of course, important because you know from um, them being endemics that they have limited distributions, which means that there's not a lot of uh, replacement areas that they can visit if they need it. And of course, an endemic species is something that we should be proud of. And um, it's part of our natural heritage. It's the only place in the world that you can see these species. Um, and th therefore, it's the onus is on us as uh, South Africans to look after our South African endemics. Uh, it's the, the only place in the world that, that we find them. And uh, as I say, it's, it's up to us to look after them. I think what makes the conservation of the Cape Rock Jumper even more important is it's described as a Feinbos endemic, which means its range is even more limited. So you've really touched on the distribution of the, the Cape Rock Jumper. Um, why, would its distribution be, why would its distribution be limited to areas with Feinbos? Yeah, that's a great question. So we have a, a few Feinbos endemics. I think there might be seven of them. I could probably try to list them off the top of my head, but I, I might leave off a few. Um, that'll be the Cape Rock Jumper, Orange Breasted Sunbird, Cape Sugarbird, Hot and Top Button Quail, uh, Cape Siskin, and I'm missing a couple more. Um, so we have a couple of Fanboss endemics that are tied to this very unique habitat. So the, the Cape Floral Kingdom, which, of which Fanboss is the major component, is the smallest of the six floral kingdoms in the world, uh, and is unique in terms of its endemism and also its diversity. So the, the key takeaway there is that there are many, many species squished into a tiny little space, mostly talking uh, botanical species here, uh, and they're found nowhere else in the world. So it's a very specific habitat. And these Cape Rock Jumpers and the other Fangos endemics, that they've evolved to, to make use of this, this habitat. Um, so it's very specific. As I said, there's a very specific climate envelope a very specific substrate that goes along with these different variants of fanbos. Um, and as I said, they like these bolded uh, slopes. 
So winter rainfall areas with the right vegetation, with the right food and the right climate uh, means that there's a rather restricted area that these birds will inhabit. Um, hence why they would be called fanboss endemics and we don't find them anywhere else. I think what's quite interesting is the Cape Rock Jumper and the Drakensberg Rock Jumper. I mean, the, the habitat that they that they found in is it's tough. I mean, it's like you got to. I've been, I've seen the Drakensberg Rock Jumper. I mean, it gets flipping cold up there, and I mean, I've seen, I saw, I saw um, the lady who does the bird nerd the other day. She was doing a thing on looking for Cape Rock Jumper um, down in the Cape somewhere, and the wind howls, the the conditions in the Cape are crazy. These are quite tough birds. Yeah, absolutely. They they dwell in some rather inhospitable conditions sometimes and they, they really uh, don't make easy choices in terms of where they live. As you say, if you've gone looking for Cape Rock Jumpers, uh, anytime probably after 9am in the Cape, the wind is howling, either the sun's beating down or your bones are chattering with the cold. Um, it's, it's pretty extreme out there and uh, they, they make a living in uh, very sparse habitats, as you say, and that's that's true for for both the rock jumper species, they, they dwell on these rather rough mountainsides and, and it's, it's sometimes difficult for people to find these species apart from a few accessible sites uh, just because of how rugged the, the mountain terrain is that they, that they live in. Uh, something that I always find fascinating with birds is the breeding habits. Um, can you chat through some of the breeding habits of the species? Sure. So the, the males and females generally will breed in pairs. Um, so they'll be uh, faithful to their mates at least for a few seasons. And they, what's interesting about Cape Rock Jumper breeding is that they are basically family breeders. So we call them cooperative breeders or facilitative breeders. And what that means is that the, the male and female will have their chicks, but the, the group of birds that raises the chicks, it, it actually includes some of the previous generations. So you sometimes have uh, three, four, five birds uh, raising the, the, the young in the nest, so finding food in that. Um, so there's really strong family bonds between these birds. And it'll be a, a couple of years before the, the young of the earlier generations is kind of picked out and have to go out on their own to find their own territory. So that's quite interesting. Not uh, many birds do that um, in terms of family breeding. And they'll, they'll usually breed around springtime, peaking uh, September, October, when in the Cape, it's uh, coming to the end of the rainy season. Uh, there's many different uh, fanboss species in, in bloom. Um, the insects are out and the climate's uh, rather agreeable, at least for a couple of months in the, in the year. So uh, that's when they peak. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really fascinating to, to watch the provisioning. Um, in, in some areas, the, the birds are, are quite uh, curious and uh, quite used to, used to people. Uh, so... They'll often come and you know feed young right next to you know, the path, and you can watch them feeding them butterflies and insects and, and moths and um, things that they've caught uh, in the, on the rocks and around the around the fanboss. Um, so they're they're sometimes rather obliging and um, quite a fun species to watch if you do get the chance. And then you obviously touched on the fact that wormslung prey on the nests of Cape Rock Jumper, but what do what does the diet look like for Cape Rock Jumper? So I think they'd be pretty opportunistic. Um, they, they take a large range of insects. Uh, primarily their diet will be insects. I wouldn't be surprised to see them take uh, a couple of smaller um, skinks and, and lizards and the like. Uh, primarily insects, though. Uh, I've seen mostly photographs of them with uh, butterflies, moths, locusts, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, they'll, they'll pick them out from in between the rocks on the, on the slopes 
and of course uh, Hawk from the rocks to to catch them in midair as well. They're they're known, of course, from their name for uh, jumping around rocks, um, but they they can be quite adept flies when they want to be as well. Although they do favour a terrestrial lifestyle. And then this is a lot of birders listen to the show and they might have not seen a Cape rock jump. I know I came down to the Cape a couple of years ago and I didn't get to see one. So what are the best places to see Cape rock jumpers? Well, uh, in Cape Town, um, there's a couple of places within striking distance that you, you can see them. Um, I will say that they're not always the easiest birds to see, but they with a little bit of effort and persistence, you, you should get to see them. Uh, the most well-known site, I think, uh, is Roy Els. So this is a little coastal village along the uh, south coastline just east of Cape Town. Um, as you go over Clarence Drive, which is one of the most beautiful um, drives in the whole country, uh, in my humble opinion, um, you come around a bend and then there's a little walking path that you can do um, from the parking lot with a, a gate with a Cape Rock jumper on it. And it's called Porter Drive. Um, and you can't miss it once you get to the gate and see the rock jumper, you know you're in the right area. So Royals is really good. Um, there's accessible rocky slopes there, and the the birds are fairly well habituated to people. Just again, please don't uh, go scrambling up those slopes. Um, birds have ruined it for people in the past. And some really uh, endangered plants on the hillside and some, some rather bad erosion that's come of people walking up the slopes. But... From the path, you can usually see rock jumpers, and there's four or five families that live along that hillside. So if you haven't seen them, just keep walking, and you'll try and see the next group. Um, so that's one site. And then Solari's Pass is also fairly well known, although there's some security concerns there at the moment. Um, there's two entrances. As you come up uh, Solari's Pass, on your right-hand side is the um, there's a viewing area uh, where you can see them, but uh, there's been a number of break-ins. So I would recommend rather carrying down the hill towards Albion and on your left there's a parking lot where you can then hike up to the mountain. So that's a bit more inaccessible unless you're willing to uh, do a maybe 20, 30 minute hike to get to the ridge where the rock jumpers are seen. And then if you are in the Cedarburg, um, there are some very tame pairs at uh, Wolfberg Cracks and the Maltese Cross. So you can also see them there, but they are distributed all throughout the mountainous areas of the southwest of Cape. You can see them in Bainsburg, you can see them on the mountains just next to Hermanus. Um, you just have to get lucky uh, chance on one of them and the best way to find them is to have a listen to that call. Um, they don't really react to playback uh, so don't don't uh, bother them with that but if you learn the call you can pick them out a whole lot easier and you'll be able to zero in on them in their uh, rather difficult habitat as you said. It's a bit of a mosaic with boulders and paintball so you've got to pick them out when they jump onto the rock and display that beautiful red breast. And then we spoke earlier about the merchandise. When can we expect to see the Cape Rock Jumper Fluffy? So the Fluffy is in development. The final proof has been accepted and it's being produced. So it should just be a matter of time and you will see it on our social media. As soon as we have stock, uh, we will open up the sales of those. And I know everyone's super excited about it. So I hope it will go well. And then just to close off, how can people get involved in supporting the Bird of the Year campaign and also BirdLife South Africa as a whole? How can they get involved in supporting your, your, the work you guys are doing? So the Bird of the Year uh, materials will be put out and distributed over social media. We encourage people to share these on their own social media. and That's how we get the, the word out there. Um, the more people share, the more people get to see it and the more people uh, get to be exposed to the, the educational things we're putting out. 
I think this year, with it being climate change and that being a, a major, major threat globally for all sorts of different species, this is a, an exceptionally important one to, to get out there. So please do share it. As I say, the educational resources will be made available freely on, on our website. So look out for those and uh, please do forward on to any friends of yours or family that might be educators or, or to your local schools that you, that you know. There really are some wonderful lesson plans uh, designed by Katie the Judge, uh, who also did the Southern Ground Hornbill. Um, and as I said, it's a really important cause this year. So please do get the word out there. Help us to amplify this really important message about Cape Rock Jumpers. Um, and then in terms of supporting Burlock South Africa, well, we're basically rely on public support to, to fund our organization. We're membership based, uh, as most of your listeners will know, but if you don't, we have a membership program that you can sign up to. Uh, you'll get all of our um, e-newsletters, a copy of African Bird Life magazine, which is a really top-class birding magazine that I know, Adam, you guys uh, punt on our behalf, so thank you for that. Um, so you get one of those as part of your subscription and a number of other benefits. And we also have other membership uh, categories, like our Conservation League donors, um, who donate a little bit more towards the cause. Um, and you get a couple of extra little benefits with that in terms of extra competitions and invites to events and things like that. And then also our corporate donors, um, which are our corporate partners that support our work as well with donations and their memberships, but also in kind. Um, so if you have a bright idea of how to support us, just get in touch with us. Um, the best email to use for that is membership at birdlife.org.za and uh, we can take those forward. And uh, we really do appreciate all the support that uh, we get from our members and our supporters. Join our, our Facebook group and, our, and follow us on Instagram. And uh, also thank you to you, Adam, for uh, continually being a champion of BirdLife South Africa. We appreciate it. I oh, know it's only a pleasure. It's, I just want to say to anyone who's listening, this is a, a great organization to support. I think in South Africa, we really are blessed to have an organization like BirdLife South Africa. I think the work you guys are doing is amazing. You don't just talk about things, you actually got to make a difference. So just, it's always good to chat to you. And um, Andrew, thanks for being on the show. It's really been cool to chat to you again. Looking forward to hopefully chatting a lot more this year and just highlighting some of the great work that you guys are doing. Thanks very much, Adam. It's always good to be on and I look forward to my fourth cap we are proud to be working in association with wild books to help get all the best birding resources into your hands at a great price if you would like to support the birding life project and the resources that we are putting out please click on the link in either the comment section of this podcast or in our social media posts your support helps us to improve and hopefully make a bigger impact be sure to head over to our website www.thebirdinglife.com and check out all the exciting resources that we have on our website, including our exciting forum section to connect you with the world of birding, birders, and exciting birds out there. Do not forget to follow The Birding Life on Instagram and Facebook. We really appreciate everyone that takes the time to interact with these accounts. Be sure to check out Birdlasser and download the app on either iOS or Android and keep a laugh list while playing your part in social conservation. As well as Swarovski Optic, one of the world's leading producers of binoculars, monoculars and spotting scopes. So until next time, be blessed and happy birding.